Welcome to Photoactive, a podcast about photography and technology. I'm Kirk McElhern. And I'm Jeff Carlson. You can find show notes, including any photos we discuss in this episode at photoactive.co. That's photoactive.co. We couldn't afford the M. There's something I've become attentive to in photography recently, I'm, since this summer. Um, in my own photography and when I see other people taking pictures, not snapshots, not iPhone pictures, but when I see videos of photographers out in the wild, it's something that I call the photographer's crouch. You know, a photographer puts the camera up to their eye and they crouch down as if by lowering their head six inches, they're going to get a better shot than if they just stand straight. Guilty as charged. I do that all the time. I don't know why we do that. Well, for me, it's weird. Even though I have a camera that has a little swivel LCD on the back, for some reason, I like looking through the viewfinder. Oh, I do too. But why... Do photographers crouch when they look through the viewfinder? Oh, uh, because it's an action pose? I have no idea. (laughs) (laughs) Well, one way that we can avoid this is by using a tripod. And we've done an episode on tripods some time ago. We'll link in the show notes. Um, When you use a tripod, things are very different. So, for example, um, I've talked about the flower photos that I take. And when I do that, I set the tripod up at the height that corresponds to the way I want to shoot the flowers, which are on my desk in my office with the background. So the the camera may be too low for me to look directly into it without crouching. Of course, I can flip up the LCD. And and when I'm initially setting up a shot like that, I do use the LCD. And then I want to look through the viewfinder just to make sure. Same here. Um, But then when I start taking pictures, I'm like, I can stand up straight because I don't have to hold the camera up to my eye to press the shutter. So this week, we wanted to talk about ways to step away from the camera, to take pictures without holding it up to your eye, without holding it up and looking at the LCD, um, to avoid that photographer's crouch. Because as we age, that's going to deteriorate our backs. (laughs) That's really all this is about. This is just, we're getting old, everything hurts, (laughs) Uh, especially for photographers, like all of our gear and everything, but you're right. And it's not just the crouch. Sometimes you need to do extra things to prevent moving the camera, which is especially important in those situations. Yes. Well, in these flower photos, as I've mentioned, I generally, what I do is I shoot at the lowest ISO that I can. Um, It's on a tripod. Why should I shoot with a high ISO, right? Right. I can shoot three seconds or five seconds if necessary for the light. And I do it with natural light instead of, you know, floodlights and strobes and everything. And again, I can shoot for three or five seconds. They're not moving. They're not going anywhere. There's no wind. Um, So you have this latitude on a tripod. And I tried a couple of different methods for um, pressing the shutter. And we'll discuss these different methods because there are different ways you can do this. But it's kind of interesting to take the time. And you can't do this for everything. You can't do this for... Uh, you know, shooting cats or pictures of your kids, things like that. You can do this for portraits. You can do it for landscapes. Put something on a tripod, take the time, step back, look around. Don't be in such a hurry. Yeah. Well, and also there are a lot of creative possibilities because, you know, A, yes, mechanically, we want to make sure the camera doesn't move. And there are reasons for that. But maybe there are situations where you can't be close to your camera, like maybe you can't actually touch that shutter release button, um, or maybe you want to do something creative, like you want an exceptionally long time-lapse photography or super long exposures, and just 
the way the cameras are made, they're really designed for capturing things in the moment. And so sometimes you need to supplement that a little bit with a different way of triggering the shutter. Well, the oldest way to do that is to use, um, I guess we used to call it a cable release. I think it's still called a cable release. And so you screw that into the hole in the middle of the shutter. Um, if you're a hip photographer, you'll have to take out your soft shutter button or whatever it's called <laughs> first. And it's essentially kind of like a syringe. You push the syringe end and that um, sets off the shutter inside the shutter button, below the shutter button. Yeah. And actually, I thought that those were basically like old tech gone. Nobody uses that anymore. But it turns out that a lot of cameras like our Fuji X-T3s, they built that into the shutter button. So these cable releases are not very expensive at all. It's just a little, you know, mechanical press. And that's one way that you could, you could do this on some cameras. My old X-T1, I don't think had that. Okay. Because it, it had a different input. And so what I had for that and what I had for uh, my old Nikon too, you can buy separate cable releases uh, that are, it, in that case, it had a, I want to say it was a US a micro USB cable that connected in. Um, some of them have uh, just like your regular sort of audio input jacks, like I want to... Like a headphone jack. Headphone jack, yeah. Yeah. In fact, that's something that the the X-T3 uses. So my old cable release doesn't work on the new one, but it also means that I can use, you know, dozens and dozens of different compatible ones. You don't have to buy the Fuji brand that's $79. You can get the, I can't remember which brand I got that was $15, 15 pounds. Exactly. In fact, I was looking at some of these earlier before we started talking today, because I still need to replace my old shutter release. I don't have one for the new camera. And I was looking through Rico Firstinger's book that I think we've mentioned before, uh, Fuji X Secrets. And uh, he mentioned a Canon RS60 E3 cable release, uh, because that's a very common type. Uh, he, he likes it for a number of reasons and you can get that. Or as I was looking on Amazon, you know, there are a bunch of options that are like, you know, 10, 12 bucks. Chinese compatible, yeah. all look the same with different names on them. So what's different about these, in addition to just being able to push a button and trigger, you have the ability to push a button and, you know, hold it down for a longer length of time, or they have a, a little lock that will lock the switch. And so you can just keep the shutter open for a long, long time without making your finger sore because you're holding the button down for so long. Ah, you youngins don't know anything. <laughs> with, with the syringe one, you can also push the shutter and hold it for a long time. And around the bit where you push, there's generally a little thing you screw in to lock it. So you don't have to keep holding your thumb on it. So complicated. So complicated. Yeah. Yes. However, well, the advantage, the advantage is they're not electronic devices. So nothing can go wrong electronically. Um, if all of a sudden your cable release dies when you're out by the Grand Canyon, you wanted to get that selfie by the, you know, by the edge of the canyon. Yes. Well, and actually I was going to interject and say, does your syringe style have a little LCD screen because some of these have little screens where you can set up like an intervalometer and set timing. And that doesn't appeal Whoa, to me because I think that there are other ways to do it. 
on our cameras, yeah, you can set timing. And in fact, right. we'll, we'll get to that in a second. Um, what I like about the electronic ones is you can do the half press and the full press quite easily. Yes. Um, it's a lot softer than the syringe because the syringe is moving a mechanical button inside the camera mm -hmm. that's a little bit stiffer than the shutter button that we normally push. Um, so you can use that little half press to focus, full press to, to shoot your photo, and you can just leave it dangling. It's not going to, you know, nothing can break. No batteries. It's self-powered. But it is electronic. If you're out in the elements, that means you got to open a little door. And if your camera's weather-resistant, I don't think that part where you plug it in is weather-resistant. Yeah, I think that depends entirely on the camera. However, yeah. another thing that you might want to think about for these is the length of the cable. Because in a lot of cases, you may not have a very long cable. And it may not be important because what you're doing is you're using that cable release to trigger the shutter so that you're not moving the camera at all. Because of course, you know, just pushing the shutter button can introduce movement if you're doing a long exposure. You might want to look for something that has a longer cable if you can't be right next to the to the camera. You know, like for example, let's say you're setting up for a landscape shot and you found a nice spot where the camera and the tripod can go, but there's maybe not enough room for you to be right there. If you have a good four or five foot cable, then you can still trigger the shutter without getting too close to that edge of the canyon, which everybody yes. stay away from the edge of the canyons. <laughs> they eat photographers. It happens yes. all the time. Yes, it does. So my preferred um, method of doing this for my flowers is I just use the timer All because right. the only thing that I want to do is avoid the camera shake. As you say, uh, when you press the shutter, the camera is going to shake. Um, I've got carpeting in my office, so the tripod is still going to move a little when I press it. If it was a hard surface, it would move less, but still a tiny bit. So whenever I turn my camera on for this, um, I have um, set in the my menu thing so it shows up when I press the menu button if you have other brands of cameras you know that there are ways to put um, menu items you use often somewhere for quick access on Fuji you can put them in uh, so they show up when you press the menu button and it goes to the timer and I set it for two seconds I don't need longer because all I'm doing is avoiding that shake and after a second the camera is stable and after you start that you make a point of jumping up and down next to the oh, tripod yes, right yes so that yes. you get that whole motion well, after I press the shutter I jump I do that kind of Pete Townsend thing <laughs> you know with the guitar um, to make sure but I've only used two five and ten seconds which are the settings but I think you can dial in your own setting on this camera. Um, I'm sure you can. Um, but essentially, the two second is what I'm doing in, in an indoor space. The five second is maybe you want to make sure that if the camera is really not stable, you want to make sure that, you know, two seconds, it still might shake. The 10 seconds is you want to press the button and run around so you can be in the picture. Family photo, right? Right. Um, that's the classic thing. In fact, I remember back in the day, um, my Olympus cameras had that little dial on the front, which was the timer. I think it was always 10 seconds. So to the right of the lens, like down below the shutter button, there was a little dial. You had a spring on it. You'd, you'd wind it back and then it would start going. Oh, yes, yes. Now the, the little uh, LED on the front tends to blink on a lot of cameras to yeah. just sort of tell you you're getting yeah. close. Well, the Fuji beeps a little bit to let you know. Oh, I turned off Beep. all my sounds. Beep. Oh, no, I, I kind of leave it on for that. Um, I have okay. my shutter on with the quietest little sound um, because I do want to know when the shutter has 
going off. Um, but I, the beep is kind of helpful. I don't, you know, I never do it outside. It always drives me slightly crazy. I know I'm going to sound like a snob, but when you go someplace and somebody has their camera artificial shutter sound at like the maximum and it's like, <laughs> especially when they're doing seven frames a second <laughs> i am terribly sorry listeners that you have to listen to that <laughs> although although what's worse is like you're in a senate hearing and you've got all these photographers using dslrs so they're mechanical shutters anyway yeah and you hear them going on drive mode and it's just it sounds like a firing range yeah just as an aside yeah. we should put in the show notes the thing about this guy in the senate hearings a week ago yes with that wooden View? Do you call it a view camera? It was probably like a four by five camera, the kind you look it was down a to. Medium then... format. I want to say like ViewMaster, but that's that's not right. ViewMaster is the old the old toy. That's that the three D the... things with the rings and yeah. Anyway, we'll put a link in the show notes because this made a lot of the the photography websites. He was like right in the front row as they were taking pictures of one of the the witnesses before the person started testifying. And I I think there's something quaint about that. Oh, yeah. Well, and it turns out he has been – so I I believe DP Review did an interview with him. Um, He has shot all of the impeachment hearings with this big camera and not just this year. Like he was there for Nixon and also for Clinton. And so just sort of out of tradition. And he's like, well, there's an impeachment going on. I'm going to go take my big camera down. And th- th- there's a fantastic picture of him, you know, with his big, you know, it's a big wooden camera um, yeah. with this massive lens on it, like like massive in diameter, not not in length. Yeah. Um, and, you know, he, he takes the picture. And I think when they talked to him, he didn't know if the picture should come out yet because, of course, he's shooting on film. He well, still has film, to go back yeah. and develop it. It was also neat that all the other photographers there just sort of like paid this deference. It's like, oh, it's that guy. Yeah. yeah. Let him come to Let's the front the because way. he's going to need more light. He's going to need, you know, uh, direct access. He can't just lift his camera up over his head like the rest exactly, of us. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Okay, let's take a break. We'll find that to put it in the show notes. And when we come back, we'll talk about more ways to control your camera without touching it. Magical ways to control your camera. Excellent. Okay, so we had the syringe shutter release. We had the plugged-in shutter release. Um, another possibility is when you're using your iPhone to take pictures of people. Now, wait a Everyone minute. Uses an iPhone. I didn't know that we could do this with the iPhone. Actually, well, I did, you, but you, I'm trying to transition. That didn't work. Right. That's very good. You're, you're leading. You're playing the straight man here. <laughs> yeah. Trying to prime my story. So if you have an Apple Watch and you're taking photos with an iPhone, what you can do is set the iPhone up. This doesn't have to be a tripod. This could be just leaning on a table against a glass, right? If you want to take a selfie at a party or you've got a bunch of friends and and you want to get a picture of everyone with you involved. So you open the camera app on the watch and you have two little buttons. The button in the center is the shutter button, which is exactly the same as the shutter button on the camera. And the second button is a timer. And you tap that and it goes three, two, one, click. And the iPhone flashes a little bit. The 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 screen on the iPhone flashes as the seconds go down with the numbers. It's really quite interesting. Then on the left, you can tap to see what your photo looks like. 
um, to see if it's worked out. So you could presumably take one of those little uh, iPhone holders and put it on, I don't know, the hood ornament of your car, <laughs> right? Yeah. And you could be in your car driving and you could tap this as you're going to take pictures while you're driving, right? Yeah. Yeah, totally. Well, and also that's what it's designed for to put on hood ornaments. Yes, I'm sure. Yeah, that's that's the 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 Johnny Ive uh, uh, put it on your Bentley. Um, exactly. <laughs> because he can just get any uh, he, he can get five more iPhones at, at a moment's notice. Um, so I have to say. When they came out with this on the watch, I was like, okay, this is cheesy and it's probably just a proof of technology that they could do this. Um, I've used this quite often because A, it lets you uh, figure out your composition, especially if if you're going to be in the shot. Um, one thing that you do need to know is you need to set your mode on the phone first. So like you can't switch from the, the regular camera to the portrait camera that you have to you have to set up on the phone first, but you don't necessarily have to have the camera app running on the phone when you start this. Even if the phone is locked, you bring up the camera app on your watch, then it will open the camera app on your phone and you can control it there. I didn't know that. That's nifty. It's actually very slick. And I used it this weekend. Uh, we were trying to take some pictures for our holiday cards and just kind of messing around and getting some lights in the background and totally set up my iPhone on a tripod and was able to you know, stand far enough away from it that we could frame all of us in. Um, it's super useful. I'm really surprised. Now, I can think of a surreptitious use for this. You leave an iPhone someplace leaning against something in a position that it can view something. Yes. And then you go away 20, 30 feet away. You probably still have to be within Bluetooth range. I think so, so 30 yeah. feet. And then you open the camera app and you can both see what's going on and take pictures of it. You could. Although I think it would be obvious that the you know camera would just start coming on what you do see is the flash on the screen so you'd need to hide the screen yeah but if the screen is against something and the light's not going to flash you could do that now i'm just thinking of a, a more practical way um we just got a new bird feeder in the garden and i'd really like to take some pictures of the birds um i could use my fuji and set it up on a tripod but i could also just stick my iphone someplace um i have one of those little clamps like what would you call it the, the the clamp with a screw like a c clamp underneath and then it holds the iphone and i could just yes. put that like on the feeder in a position where i could catch the birds and they'll just ignore it and i'll be able to take pictures another thing to note is you can control some of the features of the camera like for example if you press and hold the shutter button down on the watch it will start the uh, sort of instant recording feature that's new with iOS 13. Well, if you press and hold the button, you get a number of options like flash, um, HDR. You can flip the camera to the front screen and you can also choose live photos. Instead of just like tapping the shutter button once to take a picture, just tap, I guess, tap and rest, not tap and press. It's really quite impressive. Now, if only the watch could take pictures. I'm really glad that it doesn't. That would just be weird. You hold your wrist up to take pictures of people. That would look <laughs> a little bit strange. So the next step is to use a remote app uh, if your camera supports it. Now, one of the problems with this is you have to connect to Wi-Fi to be able to do this. And that means you launch the Wi-Fi on the camera. You tell your phone to connect to the camera's Wi-Fi network. And there's no sort of one button way to access it. But it gives you the same kind of control. In fact, it gives you even more controls than what you get with the watch on the iPhone. Uh, the Fujifilm app lets you take pictures focus 
um, it's a tap to set a focus point. Um, you can view pictures and transfer them to your phone. Uh, you can do all sorts of things. The, the main use there is basically for me, it would be to control the camera. I've set up something and I'm waiting. Say that I've set up my camera to take photos of the birds at the feeders and I'm just staring at my phone till the birds show up and then I'll tap and get a picture. Exactly. Well, and you also have more control over the actual settings. So if you are taking a, a group shot, for example, and you realize that your exposure's too low, you can change the ISO or the shutter speed or the aperture and do that without having to like, okay, everybody stop. I need to go back around the camera and twiddle with the settings. You can just sort of do it right there. Yeah. The wireless part of it always ends up being the uh, the weak link. And um, I have to say that that in the, the current ones, I mean, I know we keep going back to our Fujis, but the Fuji X-T3 does a much better job of connecting first via Bluetooth and then switching to Wi-Fi before you had to go into the iPhone settings, go to the Wi-Fi settings, connect to the camera. Like it, it was more cumbersome, but still, for whatever reason, sometimes that just doesn't work. So that's the only time when you would think that, you know, maybe a wired release is the way to go. Okay, so finally, and this is something you picked as a snapshot um, some time ago, the MyOps mobile dongle. Maybe you can refresh our memory about that. Yeah, so so the idea behind this is it's like a cable release, only instead of uh, connecting the cable from your camera to like something that you're holding, it's connected to your phone. I found a little mount that I could put in the hot shoe of the camera that would then uh, support a holder for the for the iPhone. It's kind of like big and awkward. I'll, I'll have a picture in the show notes to see what this looks like, or you just hold it in your hand. But basically, it gives you a lot more options because you now have an app that can run all this. And so the MyOps app has modes for doing time lapses, uh, long exposures, um, and even interesting things that use some of the, uh, like the other sensors that are in the phone. So um, again, in the show notes, I'll, I'll put a picture of this up. Um, I did a photo shoot where I wanted to have some coffee beans just sort of jumping in the air. And so I set this up so that the shutter would be triggered by sound. So whenever there's a loud sound, that's when it would trigger it. And you can also do this for they have modes for like like catching lightning if there's a you know bright flash. It's it's using the camera's optics through software to trigger the shutter. So it's it has a lot of interesting options and it's not very expensive either. So could I set this up? I'm looking at the website and it looks like one of the options is motion. Does it mean that the camera, it can tell the camera to detect motion? So yes. when the birds land on the feeder, it could automatically take a shot. Exactly. In fact, I wrote about this, I think a few years earlier, uh, maybe it was an earlier version um, for Macworld. I'll put a link in the show notes. And that's exactly what I did. I had the camera pointed at a, at a bird feeder. You could do it for, you know, trying to capture cats walking across. And when it detects motion and there's an option to sort of set how sensitive that is. So uh, windy tree branches aren't going to trigger it, um, that you can have it automatically trigger that. That's an example of something where 
you don't want to be standing there because maybe, you know, your presence is going to keep the birds away. So you just leave this here. You go at a safe distance or you just leave it there for a while. And as long as you have enough battery power, it will just keep taking shots whenever it detects the motion or the sound or what have you. And then you come back to it and see what you got. So there are two parts to this. There's the dongle and then there's the cable that connects to the camera. Um, I'm just looking on the website. There seem to be a lot of different cables, even for Fuji. There are two different cables. Can you buy the other cables separately if you need? Yeah. So if you change cameras... You have to buy another cable. Right. But you can without buying the whole dongle. Okay. Yeah. That's interesting. Oh, there's even an extension cable that's two meters. Now that's even more interesting. Ooh. So when you had talked about this on the show, I thought this was interesting and I said, maybe I should get this and I never did. But now I'm seeing that this (laughs) really could be interesting. I should also note there are a lot of different devices. There are some that are, you know, little uh, electronic pods that you put on the hot shoe that connect in that uh, will you know communicate either via Wi-Fi or Bluetooth. Uh, th- there are a lot of different things that are out there. When I wrote this article for DP Review, again, I'll, I'll link it in, um, I compared that with uh, another product called the Alpine Labs Spark. And the Spark was one that it's just this little battery-powered device that sits on top of the camera. And... It had a lot of the same features, but the the software just didn't work out very well. And so um, I found, to my surprise, because that was more of, of, of a wireless option communicating with the phone, to my surprise, just having a cable that went from the camera to my phone and, and the MyOp software worked out the best. Okay, so I'm looking on Amazon UK, and it's not clear which models need which cable, so you should go to the MyOps website if you are interested to make sure you get the right cable. Um, Certain brands have different cables, like Fuji has two. Um, The only downside I see to this is that you do need to get a new cable if you change camera, even camera models, perhaps. But it kind of makes sense because the camera models, they change their plugs. These are using the headphone jack. They're not using a USB. Um, and it could be that they go from a mini to a micro headphone jack at some point in a camera model. With my X-T1, it used USB. And with the X-T3, it uses that uh, headphone jack. Ah, okay. Okay. All right. Well, um, I'm looking at our notes and it looks like we've covered everything that we needed to cover. But you have one more thing. Part of the idea of this episode when we were tossing around ideas uh, was to step away from the camera. And part of that is because it's winter for most of us. And this is a time when we probably don't shoot often. And you know, when you're inside, when you're doing more, say, flower photography or still lifes or whatever, this type of trigger release can come in handy. Uh, or if you're in an area that has pretty good night skies, set up your trigger somehow, like put your camera on a tripod on your deck pointed up at the stars and then stay inside where it's nice and warm and get pictures, long exposures of the, of the sky. Good idea. There are a lot of creative uses for this. It's not just, Oh, I just want to make sure that I don't move the camera when I'm taking a shot. And I think especially during the winter when you might not be out and about as much, it's a perfect time to explore some of those options. Okay, well, that's enough. I think it's time for our snapshots. So I'm going to go with gear this week, a little bit of gear. I have an L bracket for my camera. Now, an L bracket is basically something that sits uh, 
you attach to the bottom of your camera and it also comes up along the side. Uh, they make them for all different types of cameras. You need to go find one that's going to match your model, of course, because it has to fit well. This one is the Photomix LB-X-T3 for my Fujifilm X-T3 camera. And it seems like something that would be superfluous because you're adding something that's basically on the camera most of the time. The advantage is it's designed so that it has a ridge that fits into a Swiss Arca plate. And so when you're using a tripod and let's say you set it up in your typical landscape orientation, if you want to switch to uh, portrait orientation, sometimes you would have to like mess with the tripod or switch it into a different mode. Here you just detach your camera, put it on its side, and you automatically have another uh, way to mount that on your tripod. It's super quick. It's super easy. And this isn't big enough or heavy enough to really affect the weight and the size of the camera. So, um, and, and this particular one actually also has a bunch of little uh, screw holes. So you can mount all sorts of things to it if you want. I have no need to do that. But if you need to attach a boom mic and you're recording video like you can do that it's not very expensive this was about 21 22 dollars there are some that you can get from better manufacturers that are like 60 70 dollars but quite honestly this is perfect for what i need it's like machined aluminum and uh works great I have a cheap one that's not specific to the camera and the problem with that is you can't always get the door open on the side or you can't always get the battery thing open but I found that what you need to do it it doesn't matter if you're working on a tripod it doesn't have to be flush with the camera so what you do is you you mount it the one that I have you can you loosen the screw and you can slide it horizontally so I put the screw and I slide it all the way to the left so there's room to open the left door and it doesn't matter if that bit is far from the camera when you put it on the tripod as long as it's connected to the camera in a stable way. Does that make sense? It does. So it sticks out a couple inches to be able to, to, to allow the door to open, um, and you can still use it. I find it adds a little bit of extra weight when I do it. I don't use it very much. Um, I mentioned some time ago that I use just a little shoe that I keep on the bottom of the camera. Anyway, I don't like shooting portrait mode. I think it's against nature. So <laughs> Good good reason. There we go. Yep. What, what do you have this week? Okay, I wanted to find something that wasn't photography, something that was art. And I've mentioned a couple things like Japanese woodblock prints and others. And in episode number 22, I mentioned a film by Andrei Tarkovsky called Stalker. So this week, I want to talk about a book by Jeff Dyer. He's someone who's written a lot about photography. In fact, he wrote a book about Gary Winogrand's street photography recently, which I don't know if I've picked as a snapshot, but I should. Um, what he does in this book called Zona, a book about a film about a journey to a room is there are 142 short sections that correspond to the 142 shots of the film. And he's discussing what's happening, but he's also discussing how it looks. He's also discussing in sometimes the composition. It's not really a book about film or photography. It's a book about a film which can make you, if you've seen this film, watch it again in a different way. Mm, those are the best kinds of books. They are. And I always find that it's interesting to have visual art that makes us think about photography slightly differently. You know, this makes me realize that there are so many movies that 
touch on photography or focus on photography. Uh, focus would, on photography. Good. Focus on photography. Thank you. Yep. Um, so that makes me think, what are some other movies that we should watch perhaps, you know, during the holiday breaks? Go to the Photoactive Facebook group and post some titles of photo-related movies that you like. Thinking of maybe Rear Window might be a possibility. Blowout. Blowout, yeah. Oh, I haven't seen that in a very long time. Yeah. And there's a new movie on Netflix called Earthquake Bird with Alicia Vikander. And it takes place in Japan. It's a, a woman who lives in Japan. She's Swedish and she's moved to Japan and she meets a photographer. And their relationship is partly based around the pictures that he takes of her. Okay, listeners, help us out. What should we be watching? Thanks for listening to Photoactive. You can find show notes, including any photos we discuss in this episode, at photoactive.co. That's photoactive.co. We couldn't afford the M. You can join our Facebook group at facebook.com slash groups slash photoactivecast. That's photoactivecast in one word. You can subscribe to Photoactive in your favorite podcast app or on Apple Podcasts. See the links on our website. And think about leaving us a rating or review in iTunes or in your podcast.